Our New Testament reading is taken from the book of Ephesians. We'll be reading chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, so tonight, today, is uh, Christ the King Sunday. And this is a day in the liturgical calendar, which is just means the church calendar. Uh, it's, a, it's a feast day. It's a day of celebration. And what we're celebrating is this day that was first instituted only about 100 years ago. Uh, in the 1920s, the church sort of decided we should have a day to celebrate the scriptural truth of Christ being the king. And it sort of falls at the end of the liturgical calendar because Advent starts next week. Advent starts next week, and so we wanted to have a day, the church decided, let's have a day where we celebrate the kingship and lordship of Jesus Christ. And so, Christ the king. And this sort of sets us up for the beginning of the calendar, starting next week with Advent, our eager anticipation of the coming of this king. More practically, though, than just this liturgical calendar thing that we follow sometimes, it's a, really, as I said, to remind us of what scripture teaches. That scripture tells us that Christ is the Lord of all creation, the Lord of the church, the Lord of you and I. He is our king, as we were just singing. And the reason is, we talked about this last week, we talk about this all the time, because it was this coming of Jesus Christ that allowed us, you and I, to be reconciled with our God. And so we take a day to celebrate the kingship and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so for, for, for this occasion, uh, we'll be looking at this text in Ephesians and a little bit of our text in Ezekiel as well. And, and because we haven't been in Ephesians, let me just give you a little background as well on Ephesians and what this is. It's written to the church in Ephesus, which was one of the biggest cities in the world at the time in modern Turkey. And Paul spends actually a lot of time there. If you would like to, this week, you can read Acts 19 and 20, and it talks all about his time in Ephesus. Paul spent a ton of time in Ephesus. Actually, he was kicked out of there and beaten up a couple of times. But he loved this city. And so this letter is a couple of years later when he was in prison. He's writing back to connect with the church in Ephesus, the letter to the Ephesian church. And, and the first part of this book first 15 verses or 14 verses we didn't read is actually, well, first there's a greeting, and then there's sort of a poem. He, he writes this nice poem, this nice 
poem to the Ephesian church, praising Jesus for all of the good news he's heard about them. Praising Jesus for their faith, for their devotion. Praising Jesus how, how we have all been together, adopted into the family by the grace of God. How we, as we talked about last week, have become children of the light. And so he is praising the church and saying, you guys are doing great. Keep going. Thanks be to God. And then our passage, verse 15, sort of starts a prayer. So after telling the Ephesian church, look, you guys are doing great. I've been praying for you. Let me tell you what I've been praying for you. And he starts in verse 15 and 16, and he tells the church, hey, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, right? Verse 15, ever since I heard about your faith and how things are going there since I've left, I give thanks for you people all the time. He is so happy about what God is doing in their midst. And he says that he remembers them regularly. And, and it, as I said, if you go back and read in the book of Acts about what he was doing there, this affirms everything. This reaffirms all of Paul's ministry to Acts and much of the ancient world right? That these people were coming to Christ and they were living as lights in the darkness. Surrounded by persecution, these people were living out for Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is, we did this in the morning service, look at Romans 16 and you see how much Paul loves keeping in touch with people from his past ministry, right? He loves writing these letters. We see them throughout the whole New Testament. And then in verse 17, he tells them that, hey, um, <coughs> excuse me, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He is not only just saying, I'm praising God for you, I'm remembering you in my prayers, but he's saying, I'm asking, I'm interceding on your behalf. I am asking that the spirit of God would come upon you there in Ephesus and that the spirit of God would give you wisdom and revelation. And that you would know God even better. And he continues his prayer and it gets more and more powerful. Verse 18, he says, that the eyes of your heart would be open through the spirit. And I love the way it puts this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Isn't that a good word? I like that word a lot. And, and, and what's interesting about this word is we actually have like, you know, sort of pausing on the whole Ephesus thing. If you think about the Enlightenment, you probably think about the age in history that we consider the Enlightenment, right? This sort of age where uh, it's age of reason, it's also called. Philosophy in the 17th and 18th century, science and thought were championed. Reason and experience influenced knowledge, and it was sort of this like boom of what we would consider knowledge and wisdom. Um, wonderful things actually came from this. Ideas like liberty, democracy, tolerance, all of these things that we hold tightly to are, are results of what we consider the Enlightenment in the 17th and 18th century. And this is a great word, but the Enlightenment Paul is talking about here is not the Enlightenment of a couple hundred years ago. It is not human definitions of what Enlightenment means. In fact, he then goes on to say a couple of things that I think really show us or enlighten us, that works, <laughs> to what he meant. Paul gives us a list of three things next that come from enlightenment from God through the Holy Spirit. The first thing he says, you see here in verse 18, that we can have hope as his church. 
He says it to Ephesus, but we know that he's also talking to the church of God world, worldwide now. And when we read this, we see that we can have hope, as we discussed just a couple of weeks ago. He says to the church that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Next, he says that the church can have a glorious inheritance. The second thing, that the church can have a glorious inheritance. He says the riches of his glorious inheritance. And then the third thing he says that comes with enlightenment is that there is power through the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul tells the church that when we know Jesus, okay, we're going to extend this letter not just to the Ephesians, but to you and I. That when we know Jesus, when we believe in Jesus Christ, when we are accepted by grace through our faith, that these things will actually be available to us. And what's amazing is that when he goes on to describe these things and talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, he actually goes on to describe it in even greater terms that, that, that sort of blows me away. To the same power, the very same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God is available to those who believe. Verse 20, he says it's giving him all power and authority and rule, not only now, but for eternity in verse 21. And then God, after doing this great work in Christ, gave Christ the authority to lead us, the church, which is you and I, because we are his body. Now, this is kind of a big deal. This is kind of a big deal, and it's even bigger than we might think. So don't allow your brain. You know, sometimes my brain does this where I sort of say, oh, yeah, sure. I've been in church a long time. I've heard this before. Now, really think what this is saying. This is saying that when we believe, when we believe these things we're singing, when we believe in that cross right there, that, that we are given these things, that, that we are given things that are beyond anything we can comprehend and that all we have to do is say yes. I mean, let's just look a little deeply, a little more deeply at these three things. The first one, hope. The hope to which he has called you, or more accurately, this is not individual, this is communal, it should say, the hope to which he has called you all. What is the hope that Christ has called you all to? It's to one another. It's to his holy people. This is plural. This is a unifying hope. This is a hope that brings us together so that we don't feel alone, which as many of us know is one of the worst feelings in the world. Feeling alone. Because we know that brokenness and suffering and pain and sin makes us feel alone and makes us feel isolated. But what Paul tells the church here is that our hearts will be enlightened that we would know that we have this glorious inheritance that we are unified as one body, that we all are in this together, that we all have the same calling under Jesus Christ. I mean, that right there would be enough, should be enough to transform this world because this world has become so individualistic and so isolated. But then he continues and he says, you also have this glorious inheritance. So not only do you have this hope, the riches or, or not only do you have this hope to which he's called us all together, but then we also have the riches of his glorious inheritance. And this one's pretty easy. It's the Sunday school answer. We have Jesus. Not only do we have each other, we have Jesus. Anyone remember Advent's coming up, so I'm jumping the gun a little bit. Matthew 123, a great verse to memorize. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. How good is that? So we have each other. We all have this unifying hope under Jesus Christ. And then, not only do we have each other to walk through this life with, but then we have the very gift of Jesus Christ to be with us, in us, and through us all. Our inheritance, all of us together, our inheritance is to be with Jesus, to be reconciled with God through Jesus. And this seems too good to be true. Not only do we have people, not only do we have the church, but then we also have uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But then, as if that weren't enough, the third thing Paul tells the church in Ephesus that when they believe, they get is power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to you and I each and every day. Romans 8, chapter 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Church, we have the power of the spirit of God inside of us. I mean, think about these three things that Paul tells the church. We have a calling from God to be unified as one body. We have God with us through Christ to show us that death does not need to be feared, that we have all been redeemed, and we have the same power as the Holy Spirit in all of us as a church to continue God's mission here on earth. To be little Christs, right? Christians, to go out and be like Jesus, continuing the mission of Jesus here on earth. And this, as we know, is not a new idea. This wasn't something that just sort of Paul thought of. This wasn't even something that Jesus thought of. What did we just read in Ezekiel? This was the plan all along. See, many people look at the Bible and they think, oh, okay, people messed up, and then God sent Jesus, right? God God had this great idea and was like, oh, no, 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 now I'll send Jesus. No, no, this was the plan. This was God's plan. What did he say in Ezekiel chapter 34? I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. And in this prophecy from Ezekiel, David is the one who comes in the line of David, Jesus. This is our righteous king. The reason we celebrate Christ the king is because he is a good, righteous king whom God has appointed to rule over us. And he is not a domineering or authoritative king. No, he gives us one another. He gives us his very self. And he gives us the Holy Spirit that we would be able to do the things he did. And as a church, sometimes I really wonder if we've forgotten this. As a church, sometimes I wonder, why are we forgetting these promises that have been made to us? Why do we sometimes forget the mighty strength, verse 19, that we have access to? I mean, Christ the King Sunday. The title of this sermon is is Thankful for a Righteous King. I mean, are you really thankful for these things? Do you remember these promises and live in a way that is thankful? In America, we celebrate Thanksgiving this week. 
right? Which is an awkward time when people go around the table and say, what are you thankful for this year? You know, and you have to think of something really kind of deep and not too deep. And, and families have all these great conversations. And if you don't have anything to be thankful for right now, I just gave you three things. <laughs> the people in this room, in the church worldwide, that Jesus gives his very self to you. And that he also equips you with the power of the Holy Spirit to do the things he did, to love people the way he loved, to serve the way he served. What other king can offer that? What other person can offer you these things? What other ideology, what other philosophy, what great principle that came from the enlightenment can offer you the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit? If you find something better, let me know. Because in my estimation, Nothing can compare to this. And this is why we trust in Christ the King. This is why we do not give our allegiance to anything or anyone else. Because there is no other king like him. But church, I need to be honest real quick as we wind down here, is that we also need to know that if these things are possible with enlightenment in Jesus Christ, then so too are the opposites. If we choose to follow Jesus, we are given these things. But if we choose to live in disobedience, and if we choose to not believe these things of Jesus, then so too are the opposites possible. If we do not choose Christ, if we do not believe and seek the kingdom of God, as we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, then the opposite of these wonderful promises may happen in our lives. You see, rather than having wisdom and revelation, verse 17, you may be foolish and unwise in how you live your life. Rather than knowing God better, as he says in verse 17, without Jesus, we will drift further and further from God. This same God who desires to know you without believing in Christ and who Christ was and what Christ did, we will get further and further away from reconciliation with God. Instead of being enlightened, instead of knowing these wonderful truths and having hope, we will live in ignorance and despair without hope. Instead of hope in a glorious inheritance in the household of God, those who do not believe will be lonely and without hope. Remember how we talked about this in Thessalonians chapter 4? Do not be afraid of death like those with no hope. This is what he's talking about. And then lastly, those who seek power in this world if we do not seek power through the power of the Holy Spirit, the power we have will only be a worldly power that goes in opposition to God's will, that goes in opposition to what God would have us do, but instead controls and oppresses other people. And the power we seek apart from the Holy Spirit is a power that leads us to idolatry and sin, not a godly power that can overcome death. So what would you choose for your future? What would you choose for your family's future, for your friend's future, for the people around you to see in your life? Because when I think about this, when I think about Christ being our righteous king, I don't want this just for me. I want this for all of us. I want this for you and for me and for our friends and for our family and for our coworkers and for people on the bus to see that we are in this together and that we do things differently because our God has shown us a way through Jesus Christ, our King, that is different than this world.
but you are all free to go another way if you like. God gives you that choice. As C.S. Lewis famously said in uh, The Great Divorce, the gates of hell are locked from the inside. The separation from God is something we do, not something he does. But he is inviting us, that he is calling us, that he is giving us these gifts, saying, here, take them, here, take them. And for us to choose otherwise is for us to isolate ourselves from God, to look at Jesus Christ, the king, and say, no, thank you. I will choose a different king. And so the question we all ask, but we also ask communally, not just individually, is what will we choose to do? How will we act? How will we live in our communities, in our families, in our friends, in our small groups, in our coworkers? All of these things, how will we live? Because if we believe, if we trust in this king, in Jesus Christ, let us do so with our whole lives. If we trust in the spirit of wisdom and the power of God gives, then let us be enlightened to this world in a way that people take notice. Let us trust in the hope we have found together and stay connected with our sisters and our brothers in Christ and know that we have the power in us to overcome all things, even death. And let me just remind you what the scriptures say at the end of our passage again. Jesus Christ is our king. He is our righteous king. And in verse 21, that he is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. And do not miss this last little phrase who fills everything in every way. What are you missing? What is the desire of your heart? Where do you feel weak and need power? Where do you see darkness and you need light? Where do you feel lonely and you desire fellowship? Our righteous king fills everything in every way. And that is why we praise him. And that is why we sing songs. And that is why we pray. And that is why we live this life. Church, may we go forward together with thankfulness for our righteous king. May we be thankful for the name of Jesus, the name above all other names. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, God, you are so good. Man. I don't know how I can forget this stuff sometimes, Lord. But as we go forward in life, let us remember. Let us be thankful. Let us remember that you are all we need. That you give us brothers and sisters in Christ. That you give us your very self to be reconciled to God. And that you equip us with the power of the Holy Spirit to live this life in a way that makes a difference for eternity. God, I don't want to make a difference just for today. I want to make a difference for eternity in your kingdom. Give us the power and the boldness to do so through the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would lead and guide each and every one of us on Zoom, in this room, across the world, to do great things. Not in our name, but in the name of Jesus Christ, our King, our righteous King. Lord, we say thank you, and we praise you. And all God's people said, Amen.
So let's do that, huh? Let's praise the name of Jesus Christ. Would you please stand if you are able and join us? beautiful name it is nothing compares to this what a beautiful name it is the name of Jesus you didn't want heaven without us so Jesus you of your glory. 